This episode of Nomad Athlete Radio is brought to you by Blinkist. Blinkist takes the best key takeaways, the need-to-know information from thousands of nonfiction books, and condenses them down into just 15 minutes that you can read or listen to. Go to Blinkist.com slash Nomeet to try it free for seven days and save 25% off your new subscription. That's B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T dot com slash Nomeet to get started. This episode is also brought to you by Vistro. Vistro is a nationwide 100% plant-based meal delivery service. Visit TryVistro.com. That's T-R-Y-V-E-E-S-T-R-O dot com slash N-M-A to try the six most popular meals for just $49. Hi, this is Hope. This is Kareem. Hi, this is Katie from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to No Meat Athlete Radio. Doug, you know I'm not, uh, I'm not all that up on current events and the news and things like that. An understatement, right? Just, I, I don't that know is, anything about it. I, I do know that, yeah. Okay. <laughs> but I did happen to see a headline yesterday. I caught one. Uh-huh. Uh, in my, I don't know what I was doing, internet use, I guess, and uh, <laughs> somehow one flashed across my screen, came across my desk, and it was uh, that a vegan girl called the police on her friends after they, they fed her chicken nuggets <laughs> while she was drunk. I heard that. I saw that one, too. <laughs> <laughs> so at first I said, oh, no, like, you know, vegans, what what are we doing? Was this, maybe, was it in, the, in our Nomad Athlete Slack channel? And someone wrote, be the vegan you wish to see in the world? Yep, yep. It was yep. that headline. That's right. Okay. So that's where I saw it. So, so I don't have it. I'm not bringing <laughs> it wasn't on your intern. Yep, that's right. <laughs> but, but, so you already know this. But uh, at first I thought like, oh my gosh, like we just can't be doing this kind of stuff. Um, now, I think she described herself as, as white girl trashed or something. Was the, I, read, I actually read the article. And, <laughs> I did not read the article, so this is new to me. Okay. Yeah, so she was really drunk. I, I think I think white girl trash is her way of saying really drunk. I don't know if that means something different than that that I don't understand. But uh, so that's I mean that's I, I that's no maybe that not means. exemplary behavior for a vegan just to to be super drunk and and then getting fired up about veganism. But <laughs> I don't. I so I started to read. It. I was like, well, how can you call the police for that? Right? Like, could you call the police for that? That seems uh, odd. It just that I don't know. I mean, it's not. It's not like suddenly you're going to be sick, or I mean, I guess you could be sick from that. But it's not yeah. like something. It's not like they tried to poison you. Poison, right? right. Well, I mean, I guess it depends I guess on how you're. How, yeah, it depends how you look at it. Uh-huh. Um, but it, she apparently she found out on Snapchat when like she didn't know, but on Snapchat they had they had video of themselves with the packages and then showed her that way. Uh, but she called the police and and apparently like it's actually charges are happening for food tampering food tampering yeah and then i thought maybe that's a real crime like maybe you can't mess with somebody the food somebody's eating and i mean they're would, putting it would, in their body you know right i mean that would that would be a legitimate crime i think i should have done research and figure out if that is a real crime or not but wow uh and so then i thought you know what good for her i mean i it's her friend so that's kind of jerky but so is it of her friends to do that <laughs> right right yeah yeah i mean <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I would call the police, but um But okay, but it's not when I first saw it I was like, Oh my god, what a stupid vegan thing. Right. Like right. and, and I read it, I was like, you know, maybe not. It, someone messed with your food and then they told you you're eating something different. You uh-huh. feel really strongly about this and she's been vegan for ten years. Anyway. Found it amusing. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. We should we should have a we should get like a panel, a form of panel and like have a full on debate. Yeah. Should you call the police? Should you call the police if this happens to you? 
<laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's I don't know. It's interesting uh, dilemma. Yeah, it is. So you know what junk food I've been eating recently? Ooh, yeah, let's hear it. Taco Bell. Taco Bell. Yeah, because we have these Atlanta trips every Friday, and uh-huh. we don't often prepare ahead of time. And especially the trip coming home from Atlanta, yep. there's just I can't get food ahead of time and have it. Uh, there aren't convenient Chipotle's in this. I mean, I guess if I got it right in the morning, I could do it. But it, but in this stretch that we're through Northern Georgia and Western yep, North Carolina, there's, there's just nothing. not not a whole lot. Right. Um. So we did the Beyond Burgers or whatever. Sorry, the Impossible Burgers for a little bit, and then just got tired of those and tired of eating them every day because or every week. Because I realized they have each one has like thirty six grams of fat in it or something, Oof. and a lot of it's saturated because it's coconut oil. So they're they're really not good for you. Uh, I was they taste so like dry like hamburgers from fast food places do, that I was sort of lying to myself and saying this is healthier than those really greasy ones that I eat when I make a Beyond Burger at home, but <laughs> it's not. It's <laughs> I think it just has the same amount of oil. It just cooked a whole lot. Yeah. So anyway. Um, yeah, Taco Bell. They have a they label their now vegetarian menu. It's like a separate part of the menu. It's not hidden. It's really? not secret. And no, it's know, actually on their main menu. Yeah, I don't know if all the locations do this, but there's a spot. First of all, they all have little little plastic or plastic, little green stickers next to the vegetarian items. I don't know if they're healthy huh. stickers or if they're vegetarian. I think they're V's. Uh, and then they're in their own section as well. And uh, you can also like modify the things over there, so you can you can add guacamole to certain ones and. Do different things, and uh, we I've been doing that. It's again not healthy. I mean, still it's refried beans and corn tortillas, and some lettuce and tomatoes. So it's it's just not the worst fast food in the world. I think the refried beans aren't the healthiest version of refried beans, but sure. but uh, they are vegan, and uh, it's it's been a nice little surprise to be able to do that. Well, that's interesting. You know, it, it has. I, I honestly cannot remember last time I've been on Taco Bell. Yeah. Um. So this is news to me. This is yeah. this is positive news, I would say, because yeah. a lot of places have Taco Bell that. Um, right, that's know. the thing. They're everywhere. Mm-hmm. They're they're just as as common as Burger Kings, it seems. Yeah. Um. So they for years have had the the fresco style menu. You mm-hmm. know this? Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. It was the thing, and even when we were kids, it you could order. No one did it, but you could get fresco, whatever you were getting, and they would replace the cheese with uh, I don't know salt, like pico de gallo, mm-hmm. and maybe whatever if it had sour cream, they'd replace that with something else, or just cut it. Um, and so this is still like sort of related to the fresco menu. So if you ask for like, they'll, they will remove guacamole from things if it's fresco style. So when I ordered something, what does fresco style mean? Like, what is that? Uh, Doug, you're a Spanish speaker. You should know that. Mm. Fresh style. Well, right. I know. But like, why Ooh. guacamole? Like guacamole sounds fresh to me. Yeah, but it's fatty. It's high fat. So, I mean, oh. it was so, it like, meant to make things healthier was how I think this came about. So anyway, oh, okay. so, so now when you order things, I keep ordering these things and saying this from this vegetarian menu, but no cheese, please. They come out from the kitchen and say, I know you don't want dairy on this. Do you want the guacamole? And I, so for a, I went home and looked it up and made sure that the, I was thinking maybe the guacamole is not vegan and maybe I'm making a mistake mm-hmm. here. turns out it's just that the guacamole is not part of the fresco situation. I so see. that's why they're getting it in a, in a... Very interesting. Yeah, exactly. Well, so, I mean, it's fascinating, man. That's too, too big... <laughs> Two big food chains. Fast food chains. Exactly. Better go on vegan. <laughs> I, I think it's I mean, it's really not a change. It's been there. You could have always gotten these foods to talk about. It's just now it's yeah. now they're called out. So. But still, good, <laughs> good sign. And one more thing, Game Changers available today on Netflix. Did you hear that? Oh yeah, I did yeah. hear that. 
Which means I need to watch it, and uh, probably we should have a radio episode about it. We should. I very much enjoyed it when I watched it live, or not live, when I watched it in theaters, Mm -hmm. in the theater, and uh, I'm excited to watch it again. Katie's been itching to watch it. We've been debating whether to buy it or not, uh, but now we can just stream it. Sounds great. Buy it? Like, buy the DVD of it? Well, it was before I knew it was coming out on Netflix. No, like, like buy the rights to it. Okay. You know, you, you could buy it on iTunes on or Amazon. Or right? that, that you show off? No. no. <laughs> we don't even have a TV. We, we're, how would we have a DVD player? Some people just have, like, a leftover collection that they just can't part with. No, no, definitely not there. that. Although we do have a CD collection of uh, oh CDs gosh, that we can't Oh, my gosh. You still CDs? Yep. You got to just ditch that, Doug. You just... I know, I know. They're in storage. They're all on Amazon Music or whatever. You pay eight bucks a month and you just get them. What happens if you like quit your subscription, you know? <laughs> I'm sure you're going to no. listen to your CDs once you quit your subscription. The, yeah. and I'm sure you enjoy the album art, too, and you uh-huh, the liner exactly. notes, read the lyrics, right. <laughs> now, we, every once in a while, we break them out for road trips. Because <laughs> yeah. our car our car is the only CD player we have, too. That's like We should really, totally. There's no justification for keeping these CDs. <laughs> <laughs> Zero, <laughs> um, but you know, because we don't we don't have a CD player anywhere in our house. But uh, there's one in the car. So every once in a while, five we'll break disc it out. changer. <laughs> no, I think it's just one. Yeah. Uh, do they even put CD players in new cars? No, not no, not recently. Huh. All right, all right. The only other thing I have to I just have to mention it. Okay. I just have to. Okay. Nats uh, going to the World Series, baby. Are they? Yeah, I didn't didn't pay attention to that. I've just been totally not paying attention to baseball. I said I was going to, but I haven't. Good, that's awesome. Who are they playing? Uh, we don't know yet. Who's it between? Houston and 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 the Yankees, Astros, Yankees. Wow. For the American League, and we swept the National League championship. Mm-hmm. So we're we're headed to the series. Cool. Good for them. The Astros, in my mind, are still an American or are still a National League team. I just <laughs> I just can't. No matter how many divisions they win or whatever i just i just can't call them they just don't seem like an american league team yeah i'm kind of hoping for the yankees because i just think that would be cool to yeah it's good, it's good to have a rooting interest against a team like that and yeah you're right <laughs> anyway we don't need to talk about baseball because i don't anybody cares about that but no, they don't. okay so let's talk about uh running yeah let's talk about running all right you know the marathon did you see how the headlines about the marathon in the news this week i did see that well i didn't see that i heard it. someone told me about it there were two big headlines there was of course the sub two hour right. marathon and then a true female world record ah 214 wow. something okay that's really fast who was it <laughs> um uh bridget coast Okay. I don't K O S G E I. I think is uh, how you spell it. Um, I, I should probably know how to pronounce it, but mm-hmm. I don't. But she took like a significant amount of time. I forget exactly how much it was, but it was a it was a pretty big drop in the world record, which was pretty cool. That is very cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the two hour thing, I heard it didn't actually count because it, it was too. He had like people blocking air resistance right. and things like that. Yep. Why did they so, do that? Why don't they just why don't they just run a real one and make that the goal? Well, because... Just too hard? Yeah, I mean, I think that it was... Uh, I mean, you're, I, they were trying to see if it was possible. You know, like, the whole point... Everybody's been giving this record, or some people have been giving this record, or not record, but two-hour run, um, a lot of a lot of uh, 
flack. Yeah, <laughs> a lot okay. of flack. Uh, because because it, it wasn't a true world record attempt, and everybody knew that going into it, right? Because he had a draft car that had like uh, laser beam lines off the back of it, so the Pacers knew exactly where to stand for the best wind resistance. The Pacers swapped out every 5K. Uh-huh. Um, so it was like always fresh legs. Lead athletes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, and so they just, it was like perfect ideal conditions, perfectly flat course, mostly straight. Um, you know, just like really wanted to see if it was possible to do it, to go sub two, not trying to break a world record or an okay. official, an official world record. Okay. Well, that, that makes sort of more sense that, that by having these people blocking the air resistance, they were really just simulating ideal conditions. Yes. It's not that they were actually taking away the resistance that would be in still air like a, like a cyclist would do. Right. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, there wasn't like a there wasn't like a a car driving behind him with a big giant fan like doing tailwind. Right, that's what I was sort of lumping this in together with, and I was thinking, why are they spending time on this stuff if they really want to know? Okay, well, good, that's significant. Yeah, no, I mean it's a huge deal. It's amazing. It's just uh, to me, it's just really inspiring that like you know to just uh, think about someone going sub two when it felt impossible not that long ago. Right. Um, And. And now I think now people will begin to chase that down uh, in a true marathon setting. And, yeah, I mean, just like the first person to go sub four on the mile, you know, it like turned into snowballed into a bunch of people going sub four. That's right. There's a Noyati blog post about that. From the oh, yeah? Days. Yeah. I think it's, uh, it's something about what the four minute mile can teach us about certainty or something. And the idea, mm-hmm. this was something I got from Tony Robbins back in the old days, uh, that you could... You know, once once people apparently when Roger Bannister broke that record, he did it by visualizing in his head. He that was a significant amount of his focus and effort was not just on running, but on rehearsing it mentally. And so he had he created the sense of certainty that he could do it. And then once once everyone else didn't have to do that in their heads, once he actually did it, and now mm-hmm. everyone had the certainty that it could be done, because for thousands of years it was like this one. It was one of those things that was thought to be impossible for the human body. Uh, once it was proven that it wasn't, then suddenly it was like people had permission to really. Go for it, mm. and that certainty. And then the Tony Robbins example was like in one of his books. It says something like, "Within that year, two hundred people did it," <laughs> or "Or within that year, thirty-seven people did." It. And then if you look at the actual stats, it's like I don't know, no one did it for a, a year, and it was one person. <laughs> and then, then like over the next ten years, people started to do it with increasing frequency. No, it wasn't so, quite as dramatic as <laughs> such. And I don't like I don't know how do you put that in the book. I guess in the pre-internet days. You could you could hear facts and not have really any great way of verifying them and <laughs> have no way to check them and you just you just put them in. Yeah. I don't well, know. I mean, I, my guess is that it will be a long time because it's still the you know the fastest marathon, true marathon world record I think is like two hundred one something. Ah. Uh-huh. Like it's it's still pretty far off. Um, and are you allowed in an official marathon? To have like a tailwind, like can you get better than ideal conditions? I guess that's that would be ideal, but can you get better than completely neutral conditions? Is that is that allowed, or is that does that rule out any records if the wind is too strong? Because wasn't there a Boston Marathon thing that the record didn't count, or maybe that's just because Boston, think the records Boston don't count doesn't in count in yeah, general because it's, it's net yeah, net yeah. downhill. Um, I don't know. That's a good question. I'm not think, sure. You think a good tailwind, someone right? Could run, you think you would, just would wait, wait for the weather to be good and <laughs> right. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know all the rules, but, um, you know, but they definitely knew going into this one that 
It was never it was never a world record attempt. It was an attempt to go sub sub two. Right, right. And is this still the Nike thing? I heard it was some billionaire behind it, but is this mm-hmm. still like that Nike project? Um, the so sub two, I think, is what it was actually called. The first one was a straight up Nike project. This one was funded by somebody else, but you know, of course, uh, Nike is a big part of it. They put a you know he's wearing a new prototype of some fancy new shoe from Nike okay. that you know, and there's a lot of controversy around that too, whether that. Like ah. that shoes is, is kind of should be legal or not. And it is currently legal. Um, but you know, there's kind of people calling it for shoes like that to be banned. Um, hmm. but, uh, I mean, I think Nike was very involved with this, but no, it was not an, a, a Nike event. Gotcha. Now, should we thank our first sponsor before we get into our main topic here? <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I don't feel bad that we're chit chatting cause we're chit chatting about the topic. We're leading into our topic. People want to okay. people tune into this episode to hear a running conversation. Then we're talking about running. We're talking about marathons. No, yeah, that's true. This that's be true. Anyway, this episode is brought to you by Vistro. Vistro is a nationwide, hundred percent plant based meal delivery service. In fact, Vistro is the number one plant based meal delivery service in America. They're quick and easy. No prep work, chopping, or cleaning involved. That's my favorite part of them. All Vistro meals can be heated and served, so you can enjoy a hot, healthy, and delicious meal whenever you're hungry. Also true. Vitra meals have no added preservatives using organic ingredients and fresh frozen for maximum taste and nutrition. They'll keep in the freezer for up to 10 weeks. Mine only lasted one week because we ate them really fast. <laughs> you ate them all. <laughs> since they only serve plant-based meals, they're really good at it with satisfying meals like country fried chicken, Tuscan calzones, enchilada casserole, red curry, and lots, lots more. Matt, you need to get you need to get a like an RV with a microwave or an oven or some sort to take down to Atlanta every week, and then you can just oh, eat Vistro meals. That would be the way to do it. That sounds great to me. If I had that, I'd just live in Atlanta. <laughs> if you had Bistro, you'd just live in Atlanta. <laughs> you can have that, but don't do that. We'd miss you too much up here. That's right. Bistro offers free shipping on all orders, and right now, you can try the six most popular Bistro meals for just $49. Visit trybistro.com slash NMA. That's T-R-Y-V-E-E-S-T-R-O dot com slash N-M-A. No commitments, pause, or cancel at any time. But you can only get that $49 deal at trivistro.com slash NMA. Be like Matt and Doug, eat Vistro. <laughs> That's right. Now, speaking of records, uh, we want to talk about your personal record. <laughs> that was a yes. good segue, right? Really at the marathon, segue. marathon records. Yep. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about your big Boston qualifying run and how you got there, but why it took so freaking long. Yes, this is not, to be clear, this is not an attempt to, to relive the old glory days and, and just have another reason to tell the Boston story again, because <laughs> uh, we have done that plenty of times, especially in the old days of No Meat Athlete. Um, you know, I'd be willing to bet that a lot of listeners don't really no, know No, they probably, story. you're right, it's, it's, it's been a long time. It's, in fact, that was over 10 years ago now. That you qualified? Yeah, like just 10th anniversary on October 4th, 2000, well, sorry, the first one was October 4th, 2009, 10th, 10th anniversary just happened 12 days ago. You know... So this is a, a side note. Uh, October 11th, I found out, thanks to the world of social media, that um, was my 10-year anniversary for my first marathon. Oh, so you ran a first marathon right after my BQ race. Yeah. Didn't realize that. A big year for us. Yeah, it really was. Okay. Anyway, back to, back to you. My first ultra was the next year. So I wonder, I wonder if you have anything next year. Your first ultra might have also. No, you, you ran a few marathons first. I yep, mine mine would have been two years after that. Gotcha. Anyway, um, 
Yeah, that means I also had a 10-year uh, vegetarian anniversary. I didn't didn't celebrate that. Forgot that that happened. Huh. Well, we kind of me. did with your 10-year Nomi Athlete. No, Nomi Athlete, yeah, that's true. We didn't, it wasn't about me. But Okay, anyway, so <laughs> 10 years ago, ran this 309.59 race. Uh, qualified for Boston, not by one second, but by one minute and one second. Uh, but speaking of that certainty idea with the four-minute mile, it was always I always enjoyed that I qualified by one second under 310, zero, zero, because in my head and in my journals and all these things where I'd written down this goal and just, you know, endlessly committed to this goal, uh, I wrote down 310-00, because I just didn't know that there was this extra 59-second grace period you get. So, uh, it's a, <laughs> so it's when, you, a, when you actually did qualify, did you know? Like when you crossed the finish line, did you know? Be it a minute? And... I, I, yes, I knew that then. I didn't okay. know that I had gotten under 310, because I was trying to do that, and I think I remembered not quite doing it. Mm. Uh, but, but assuming that, that I would be fine. I mean, look, you know, my watch said I was fine. Yeah. Um, so anyway, it was it was as if I had I had rehearsed it enough in my head to run a three ten that my body did exactly that. But who knows? You know, it's more more likely just that I wanted a little bit of time to spare when I figured out my paces and did that. Um, but anyway, the point that we wanted to get into here is that it took me seven years to do it from the time I ran my first marathon. Uh, I guess it was actually more like seven and a half because my first marathon was June '02, and when I signed up for that first marathon with my friends, completely naively, not very, you know, we weren't runners at all. We didn't know anything about marathon training. We first said we wanted to sign up for the Boston Marathon, went online to do it, couldn't do it because you have to qualify. So then we said, all right, we're not just going to run a marathon. We're going to qualify for Boston in this marathon. And so I wrote down 310 as my target time in that first race and missed it by 104 minutes when I ran at 4.52 or 3 or whatever it was. Uh, so I was a long way away an hour and 42 minutes and that's when i committed to it and said i'm going to do this and then it took seven years to actually do it seven and a half years to actually qualify how many marathons do you know uh, i think well i think the qualifying race was my sixth marathon so i ran five races after that first one Mm -hmm. and in the fifth i did it um and i steadily took off time it took like an hour off the first one just by not getting injured and completing the full training and you know, running a race like you're supposed to run a race. Uh, and then after that, it became about, mm-hmm. you know, starting to learn about more training stuff. And then the final piece of the puzzle for me was, was changing my diet. And that got me there. Um, so, the, but the thing we want to talk about is why did it take that long? And what, you know, because I, I think I could have done it in three years if I was a little bit smart about the way I did it. Uh, hmm. I don't know that for sure because I do think, as we have said a lot of times, that there is something about running, and a lot of things, but I think running especially, uh, where you just get better at it. You get better at it without any real explanation. Uh, There's certainly a scientific explanation with your your brain getting better at recruiting muscle fibers and all that, but like, you just get better at at running, and it's just easier to run a given distance at a given speed, even once your fitness, kind of independent of your fitness level. Would you agree with that, Doug? That that even if your fitness wanes some, ten years later, still running, you might be a little heavier than you were before. Uh, you know, maybe you're not doing the same speed workouts, but you can, you might be able to run a, a time that you were able to ten years earlier. Even now, you're a little less good shape. Yeah, for the most part, definitely. Yeah, and obviously, it's affected by your fitness level. Of course, you you could be so out of shape yeah. that that's not true. But right, right. there's this benefit that just comes from doing it. Uh, Joan Oliato, I think is an old runner. She has a quote that talks about it. You have like kind of 10 years, it takes 10 years to learn the game. Uh, and it's like, if you're just out there getting your runs in, you are going to, that improvement is going to happen. 
uh, kind of independent of other things. So anyway, uh, there was a certain extent of that happening. But the reason that I think it took me so long was that every single time I wanted to qualify, or every time I would recommit to training for a new marathon and say, I'm going to, you know, I, I got this time before. In this next race, I'm going to qualify for Boston. I never said, I'm going to improve by 10 minutes and make gradual progress towards Boston. Even right. even after running the 452 or whatever, uh, when I then wanted to get back to marathon running two years later, because I just couldn't seem to get myself to uh, to train without injury, even then, part of the reason I was still getting injured is because I was doing my training at the paces that it would take to qualify for Boston. Like That's what I was trying to do. Uh, in hindsight, it's kind of ridiculous that I did that. <laughs> uh, were you hitting those paces? I mean, like throughout training, were you... Like when yeah, you did I mean, a speed I, work, were you like anywhere near? I wasn't right doing, I wasn't doing that kind of speed work yet, um, and that's something that kind of came later on. Um, but like when it would say go do your easy run at at you know it it should be easy to do it at seven thirty pace because your marathon pace is going to be seven fifteen. Uh, I'd go hammer out three miles of seven fifteen or seven thirties, and be exhausted at the end, but feel like well that was a good workout and tired and you know go out and do it again later. <laughs> Um, like I was, I was definitely piecing together plans. I, I didn't have one plan. At the very end, I had a run less, run faster plan that was about running a 310 marathon. And that had very specific paces to try to hit. Uh, before that, I was kind of piecing things together with like Daniel's running formula and a bunch of other things. But in my head, you know, the goal was, was that Boston thing. And I had like a, do my long runs at two minutes slower than that. Like, a, you know, eventually learned that tip rather than trying to do long runs at race pace. Uh, and I was really constructing a runner out of myself because i didn't know anything about it and it took a while mm. it took a marathon you know to learn each of these little lessons but anyway mm-hmm. um the the less what i've always kind of found ironic and interesting is that i was it was out of impatience that i was doing this like i was so excited so gung-ho about qualifying for boston i thought that it would just be absolutely amazing life-changing to qualify for boston and i'm glad i thought that way because you need that uh but what what I didn't realize was that that doesn't mean the fastest way to get there is to train as if you're going to get there in the next week. So by actually being okay with taking longer, I would mm-hmm. have gotten there sooner. Cause I never realized it was going to take me seven years. Every time I thought it's going to take me six months. And I just mm-hmm. kept thinking six months from now, I'm going to have qualified for Boston. Uh, when if I had just said from the beginning, you know, here's a nice three year plan to get there and it's going to have these different stepping stones along the way. Um, that's, you know, th- I think I would have done it. I think I would have, qualified in that way the big thing there though is and this gets back to a lot of discussions we've had yep is that giant exciting goal versus Mm -hmm. the stepping stone goals that aren't that exciting and it seems like the ideal way to do it is have a really big exciting goal that's three plus years in the future uh and then find a way to get really really excited about intermediate goals so that when you're thinking six months down the road or one year down the road, you've got something to think about because something that's three years away, it's really hard for that to motivate you. Right. So and would you have even gone for it if you knew it was going to take three years or seven years? And that is the huge question. And I, I don't know if I had known it was going to take three years. uh, Yeah. I think I I was excited enough. I wanted this goal enough that I would have certainly said, yeah, I'll do that. Um, Mm -hmm. But what would I have actually done in the meantime? Would I have actually gotten myself to, find a plan and really start training and say, okay, my first marathon was 420, or sorry, uh, 450. No, I'm all messed up. Sorry. My first marathon was 
452 or something like that. So if my next step after that, um, which required 30 uh, or four or something. Yeah, right. Like that just wouldn't have been exciting to me at all back then Mm -hmm. when what I wanted was 310. So to go through what I had to go through to kind of learn how to not get injured anymore and a lot of frustration with these stress fractures and string splints and things that I was having. Like, I don't know. How many just that may have been enough? I said, that's, you know, 430, that's not worth me doing all this. Yeah, but you might not have gotten all those stress fractures and chin splints if uh, <laughs> right. if you had done your training properly. Right. You know, like maybe all those setbacks were because of um, because of your impatience. Right. And I mean, you know, I think it's there was something about you and this goal that uh, to give it seven years and continue to try and try and try and be convinced, like that is pretty. Um, unusual i think or i mean it takes it takes a i don't know not very often in in your life in anyone's life are they going to have something that that they're that motivated to do for seven years right because right. uh for a lot of people if you you say all right i'm going to qualify for Boston, and your first race is a bust and maybe you're like okay well i'm going to try it again and your next race is still a bust and um and you're like well wait a minute like this i just can't do this and, and then you give up right right you know and whereas whereas if you were smart about it and you said, okay, I knew this is going to take me three years. I know it's going to take me three years. And it's going to be harder because I have to do these other goals that are not as exciting. But then you're not having setbacks. You know, Then every race is not like a, a blow to your ego. Right. Right. So I think the way to kind of put it all in a box now is say there is an intelligent way to do it. Uh, and if I knew what I know now, and, and to someone listening to this who has their own plans of their own, you know, huge goal, whatever it is, and it might just be far out of sight for your next marathon. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're listening to this, you're way, way ahead of where I was because I didn't, you know, I didn't have resources that I was listening to. I didn't know other runners. And like I said, I was just learning these, these really kind of obvious fundamental running lessons about how to train for something. It would take me six months of training and have a marathon go badly and, and the training go badly. For me to say, okay, that's actually not probably the best way to do it. And then I'd read another book and then I'd say, okay, now I understand why this is so. So like, you know, with all these discussions we've had about goal setting and and habits, uh, not to mention all the running advice that we've given, like if you were listening to this sort of thing, whether it's ours or other people's, uh, you can do it intelligently. I, I see, and I guess that's that's the moral of the story for me is like, I don't, I guess I could say this is, would have been ideal and I could have done it in two or three years had I really just done it right. Mm-hmm. But there was no doing it right back then because I, I don't know how I would have. I didn't, I had no idea. Right. You know, right. so I was all in the like gung-ho, go get it. Uh, I would, I would, I'd convince myself and I don't know if I would convince my friends, but I would tell my friends that I was going to qualify and my family and say, this is the one, come <laughs> out, you know, come watch me race. I'm going to qualify for Boston on this. And I would say that six months ahead of time. This is that, that burning the boats on the, on the shores of the enemy uh, yep. that we talked about last week, I would do all that thinking that in doing that, I was setting it up that I had to do it and that, and that I was, you know, making it that I, that it would be impossible not to. But when, when I just didn't know that it was impossible to do that in that amount of time. So right. I would fail miserably I, that day and, and especially during the race. And like those, during those miles 22, when you're kind of making the decision that just as it's hitting, you're like, wow, I went too fast today and there's no way I can keep this up. Uh, and it's hurting, and I don't know. I would just feel all this like strange sense of guilt, like I can't believe I blew it like this. Uh, I should have trained better. Should have, and I would have. I just totally beat myself up during miles twenty-two through through twenty-six, 
and feel like this whole day was a disaster. And then somehow I would finish, and then I'd go home, and I'd feel better, and I'd eat some food, and then somehow I would just forget it. I would just forget that all had happened, and I'd say, okay, next time I'm qualifying for Boston, and I'm starting you know, in two weeks or whatever, and I'd, and I'd do the same routine again. And so that's what's amazing to me looking back is that I could had this, yeah. this way of this short-term memory and just erase that I had failed in my head uh, mm-hmm. and not let that be you know, uh, something that would prevent me. So if you can do that, if you're... Was, was Aaron ever like, Matt, give it a rest, dude? <laughs> I don't know. I'm not sure. I, I don't think she ever was. She was always really supportive. I, I, think, I think friends were starting to get that way. Mm-hmm. Just because the number of texts that I would get about it would just decrease as each one. Had. <laughs> yeah. Even though I was getting closer, it was just, it, it, I don't know. After five times of hearing I was going to qualify, people just didn't believe it anymore. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I think, I think I did it. I did a brute force way of doing it. Mm-hmm. I think it can be done more intelligently. But the challenge with the intelligent part is that, like, you've got to be really, just like I had to be really motivated. You have to be really, really motivated to, be able to get yourself up for those intermediate goals that aren't the big one. And mm-hmm. maybe get your, maybe be really motivated isn't the, the right word. Maybe you need to be really uh, okay with with sort of being patient. You need to be really patient. <laughs> That's what it is. Uh, but not as patient as you ultimately had to be if you if you do it like I did. Right. Yeah, yeah. All right. So I think – so I have another, another kind of uh, scenario that I'd like okay. to – We're going to tie this into talk the about. running? We are. Tying the hundred mile running. How'd you know? I just, 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 just no Doug. I figured it was either disc golf or hundred milers. <laughs> um, uh, but first, uh, why don't we take a second to to thank our our other sponsor? Okay. This episode of No Made Athlete Radio was brought to you by Blinkist. Matt, I know we've been talking a lot about the Blinkist app over the past few weeks, about and about how it allows me to read, even though I have kids and work and training and all the times, all the the things that kind of prevent me from actually reading. So it allows me to, to digest some books, ingest some books, ingest, digest. Blinkist. Blinkist takes the best key takeaways, the need to know information from thousands of nonfiction books and condenses them down into just 15 minutes that you can read or listen to. Eight million people are using Blinkist right now, and it has a massive growing library. From self-help, business, health, and history books, you name it, Blinkist has it. And uh, Matt, you know, one approach I've been using with Blinkist recently is revisiting some of the books that I actually have read, maybe in college or when I had more free time. Ah. So, um, you know, because it kind of just re-triggers, re-triggers some of those uh, books that... I feel like I know a little bit about, but, you know, it's been so many years. You know, for example, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Just listen, re-listen to the Blinkist version of that recently. Um, That's the which, material that I was listening to during my uh, Boston qualifying days, Doug. Hey, we did not plan that, but that is <laughs> <Yeah>. cool. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, so uh, because it's just 15 minutes, you can just throw on, you know, books, new books, old books. Doesn't matter. That's what I like about it. With Blinkist, you get unlimited access to read and listen to a massive library of condensed nonfiction books, all the books you want for one low price. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for the Nomad Athlete audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash Nomad for a free seven-day trial and save 25% off your new subscription. That's Blinkist, B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T dot com slash Nomad to start your free seven-day trial and save 25% off when you sign up. All right, Doug. All right. After that uh, exquisite teaser that you did before this, <laughs> what uh, what's it going to be? What's the payoff here? Well, okay. So this is 
I, I, you know, I don't know if this is more common. Um, it, it certainly is within the people, the circles that I run into or talk to about runners. Um, because I just feel like I have heard fewer and fewer people have their goal be to qualify for Boston. Although I'm sure that that is yeah, not is that maybe not cool anymore? Yeah, I mean it's certainly cool. Like Boston is harder and harder to get into every year. Yeah, they keep right. You know, because more people are qualifying, but um, it's too popular now. It's too popular, right? Mm-hmm. I was wondering but, before it was cool. You know, the 100-mile 100, 100 distance is growing significantly, and people are, are just itching to go from marathon to an ultramarathon. And I cannot tell you how many emails I have gotten, uh, either with questions or people, like, looking for a coach. I mean, dozens, hundreds, maybe. You're just fighting off saying, coaching clients? I'm just, I, you know, left and right, man. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> That's what I thought. No, um, no, I mean, over the years, right? right. Uh, of people who... who you know, say I just ran my first marathon and I'd really like to run a hundred miler this year. Mm. You know, can it, is it possible to go from a marathon to a hundred miler uh, in less than a year? You know, yeah. should I just, should I just go for it? Perfect tie in. That is super impatient. That is very impatient, <laughs> right? Cause you know, they have the hundred mile goal. They read the book or they watch a movie and uh, hear about the hundred miles. And that just sounds way more attractive than like a 50 K, <laughs> yeah. you know, to certain people. Right. Um, and the thought of kind of doing the progression over multiple years of starting with 50K and then, you know, recovering and then going through a full 50-mile block, training block, and then recovering and then going through 100K and then recovering. And, I mean, you know, I mean, it could take – it's a lot of suffering. It's a long time. You know, it's a lot of long, right. long training blocks. Yep. Um, so why not just skip it? You know, why not just – Go for it. Because it doesn't matter time, like, for a lot right, of people. It's right. not about the time. It's about getting in the distance. Yeah. And I proposed um, this question when I was flirting with the idea of doing another 100 this year with some friends. Mm-hmm. It ended up falling through. Uh, I said, I could just sort of skip all this work, all this training, hours and hours and hours of training. Mm-hmm. Thousands of miles, probably. <laughs> By just saying, I'm going to be okay with completely suffering for... 33 hours walking a lot mm-hmm. and just skip it all and just get that hundred done of course it wouldn't be a real hundred because it wouldn't be under 24 hours <laughs> but <laughs> not true no not true at all if so then i have definitely not run 100 uh yeah so are people asking it with that in mind like can i somehow just get through this thing or are they thinking is there a way for me to train and really be in shape and do 100 miles and really well do i think that uh i think that a lot of these people because they haven't actually run 100 like you have, don't fully understand what it's like to run 100 mm-hmm. and how no matter what kind of shape you're in, it's going to at times be really hard and really awful. Right. And so the thought of like, I'll just take 33 hours and stuff for the whole time, <laughs> I think um, comes from a level of experience with ultra running right. That, right. Uh, that you and I have. Um, so I don't think that it's quite that, but but it is kind of like, I don't really care about timing i just want to get a belt buckle and i want to have that experience under my belt right um and uh you know and and they're willing to do suffer as much as needed to um but you know it's just it's 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 a hard question to answer because it is possible of course it's possible Mm -hmm. to go from a marathon to 100 miler in less than a year um but is it the right decision (laughs) you know (laughs) <laughs> and and that I think can only be answered by the person, of course. But um, you know, but there is that level of of patience 
that's that's required. And I mean, I'll never forget when I was because I was in that boat too. Uh, you know, I wanted to run hundred miler. I didn't go for it first, but that was the end goal. It always was when I started running ultras. I read Born to Run and wanted to run a hundred miler. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I got Brian Powell's book. Yep. Relentless Forward Progress, which was kind of back then the only book, at least the only popular book on how to you run. Got it, or I forwarded you a copy with a watermark on it that said "For Matt Frazier only." <laughs> no, no, I actually bought it. I I really? I'm looking at it on my bookshelf right here. I didn't know you had that. Yeah, got to send it to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't can't publish that, Matt. They're gonna come after you. <laughs> no, I actually, I actually have a physical copy of it. And I, I have used it many, many times. Uh-huh. Um, but the, you know, in one of the early chapters, or maybe even like the the preface or the intro, he he talks about um, how his goal. He was in the you know he wanted that too. He wanted to run hard mile. He like got into ultras. All of his friends were running hundreds, mm-hmm. and he wanted to do it too. And the best advice anybody ever gave him was, "Don't rush it. Take your time. You'll enjoy it so much more. You'll get through it. Right. You know, without injury." It'll just be so much more of a rewarding experience if you take two to three years and build up to it instead of yeah, jumping right in. Right, and that I mean, that's kind of the obvious answer. Maybe if you haven't done it, it's not. But like, yeah, like, are you trying to like? Do you want to enjoy the experience of doing a hundred miler and have a fond memory of having done this mm-hmm. and become an ultra runner, or do you want to just get it done, be miserable for that time for sure, mm-hmm. and probably miserable for most of the training too because it's what it right. would require. Like, yeah. I, I don't know why you'd want that. I can, I, I can understand why you'd want that. But knowing what, you know, sort of richness gets created by just being an ultra runner for a year or two, uh, I don't know why, you, why you'd why say I'd rather just be miserable for eight months and, and train and run this 100-miler. Right. The other yeah. thing is, I think, I think there would be an extremely high failure rate. Maybe the type of people that actually go for 100 milers in one year are a different breed and and... I'm wrong with this, but mm. to me, what what came of running a couple 50 milers, I think I did two 50 milers in a 12, 12 hour when I ran only a little more than 50, uh, what came from that was learning just how much you can want to quit and then that you don't actually have to quit when you think, when you think you do, right? Thinking that like, right. if I can just find a way to get another two miles, I'll get to the next aid station and I'll think about everything then. I'll worry about that issue of am I going to quit or not then? And then you do that same game, just like with the Boston thing, really, with the failing and then forgetting that you just are doing it. For me, with ultra running, it was lying to yourself and saying, I'm just going to get this far, and I'm putting the entire question of quitting and having to go more after that. Uh, And then I'd get to that station, and then I'd say, okay, do that same game one more time. I'll get to the next aid station. When I get there, then I will consider all this. And just keep lying to yourself that you're going to actually consider quitting when you get there. And Mm -hmm. you eventually get done that way. And for me, like I had just had to learn that strategy and, and the kind of see examples of myself thinking I really had to quit and could not go on. And then later seeing that I didn't actually have to quit. I was able to go on. Uh, I don't know. I just feel like if you, if you're, if you have not run a a 50 mile race, even, and you're running a hundred by the time you get to 40 and now you've probably run 10. Well, I I guess with your training, you would, you do some more if you were really going for a hundred on the in one year, but anyway, you hit that point when you're fifty miles in and you are just thinking you have to quit and having fifty miles left. That then you just quit. Then you, I mean, it's just too right. much to keep going. Totally. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I think for me, that's I mean, what failure the, rate for a hundred miler 
I mean, this is inc- including everybody, so a lot of first-timers probably, but, like, for your average 100, it's probably 40% anyway, you right. know? Right, Um And I, I agree. I just, you have to, that rate must go so much higher for first-time right. people. Just because you you don't fully expect how much you're going to want to quit and how mm-hmm. early it's going to happen, I think, in 100 when, when you have so much left. In a 50, you're dying at mile 40, and that for me, that was, like, the first lesson. Like, I will find a way to do this rest of this race, no matter how much it hurts. But like, if, if you're hurting like that at 50 and you have 50 left, mm-hmm. you just not, it's just not going to happen. So yeah. Patience. Patience. We're old and wise now though. We've, we've, we don't have anything for <laughs> young go-getters anymore. <laughs> yeah. Patience is our, is our big takeaway here. I, I think so. I think it is. I think there's a lot, uh, a lot of wisdom and patience. Yeah, I do. I mean, yeah, you, you could find a way to hack your way to getting a 100 miler done in a year, and you can check it off, and then you can, uh, really, for what? You can go tell everyone that you ran a 100 mile and put it on Facebook and, and do that. And then one day you can look back, or you can always look back and say you did it. But I, nothing else good comes of it. Really nothing else comes from, from doing it once. Like that. Right. Fair? Yeah. Fair. All right. Fair, fair. All right. Good. Then, Matt, uh, congratulations on your BQ. Thank you. <laughs> Ten years ago. <laughs> Ten years. Ten I can still run through. You know what I said about like it doesn't matter what fitness you're in, but if you've had long even running, <laughs> yeah, could you just go out? I think I'm gonna go run a 309.59 after this. Which wouldn't qualify you anymore, right? Or maybe it would. No. Now that you're older. Well, maybe now that I'm older, I might have gotten. I think I'm only five minutes higher now, but then it all went past. I don't think so. I don't know, but I'm pretty sure it wouldn't. Like yeah. I said, I did it before it was cool. There are advantages to being a pioneer like I was. (laughs) (laughs) True pioneer, Matt Frazier. Yeah. Okay. Um, Uh, Sounds good. Has this, I I gotta, I mean, has this ignited any interest in running a fast marathon again? No. No, it hasn't. No. I I could, I I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to even say. Sometimes (laughs) I think I could sooner do that than run run an ultra marathon. And I currently think that. Then run another hundred. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, you know, yep. I'll, I'll swing back the other way next year and who knows what, but <laughs> yeah. no, not right now. Uh, all right. All right. Well, good luck to anybody who is chasing that goal, whether that's hundred miles or a Boston qualifier and, uh, Absolutely. Yeah, we're rooting Take for your time. You. That's our, that's our advice. Life that's is right. long. Take your time. <laughs> all right. We'll be back next week. All right. Bye. See ya.